But it's good to be back together again in person and realize given circumstances our numbers are down a bit, but glad that you could make it out and glad for those who are joining us online. We have been, uh, in the last few weeks, dealing with the topic of truth. The title of our series has been Truth, the Knowing That Makes You Free. And we've been talking about how important it is to not just mentally know certain truths, but actually to see those truths worked in our lives that bring a freedom. Now, when we think of Jesus' word that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free, I think for most of us, our minds immediately go to the word of God. They go to the scriptures, to the Bible. And uh, the Bible, of course, is the word of God that we read, we quote, we memorize, we, we try to live up to that. But really, the truth that Jesus is speaking about is not words in the sense that it's not just information. The truth is actually a person, and that person is Jesus. You may remember in John 15, 15, Jesus said, I am truth. I am truth. And then, of course, uh, in John, in his gospel, referring to Jesus, he writes in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, the Word already existed. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, The Word became a human being, full of grace and truth, and that Word lived among us. In the Greek language, the language in which the New Testament was written, the word, word, W-R-D, that's used here, is the Greek word logos. Logos in the Greek is a word that we use often in the English language. In the English language, it's interpreted as the suffix to many of our English words that end in ology, right? So we have the word theology or archaeology or cardiology, psychology, right? And what that has to do with is that has to deal with that particular area of study or of learning. And so if you're studying cardiology, <clears throat> you're studying all things pertaining to the Right, I think I say cardio, <laughs> same thing. The heart, right? And so that narrows it down to all the details, all the information, that particular field of study. And so what we see that logos is, logos is actually the origin of all these different fields of learning. Logos is not only information. Logos is actually all knowledge. It is the reason behind every area of life, every area of study or learning. It is the rationale behind it. We know the Bible says that Jesus actually is the creator of the worlds and that when he spoke, the worlds came into being and those same worlds, that same creation is sustained by his word. When Jesus one day says, okay, it's over, uh, then everything comes undone. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth. But everything came into being by his word. In other words, Jesus, the word, the logos, he spoke that word and all the science behind it, all the things at the micro levels, you know, all that's involved in that, all these things were created from Jesus, came from Jesus. All these things are, are these fields of study had their origins in their creator. And that creator, of course, was Jesus. So this logos, this word, is actually a person. And again, that person's name is Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word that spoke and all things came into being. In the beginning was Jesus. He is the word. He is the word of God. And that's why 
when you come to know Jesus, it's not just about embracing a new lifestyle or a new religion. We are literally born again, and it's through our relationship with Jesus that we begin to learn how life is intended to work. That's why Jesus said that if you come to me, I will give you life in all its fullness. I'll give you life in all its abundance. It's not just an empty promise. Jesus says, I am the origins of all things, of every area of life. I created to function a certain way, and if you come to me, I will show you how to live. That's why we oftentimes say that the Bible Bible is not a book of rules. The Bible is a book of truths, right? That truth is rooted in the person of Jesus as you have a relationship with him, just like any loving parent says, look, I know more than you do, and because I love you, I'm going to explain to you how this area of life works. And any wise child will listen to their parent when they have that insight, that wisdom in that area of life. Jesus again said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth is what will make you free. We mentioned a couple of weeks ago that that word truth literally means reality. And so for us, we need to understand that spirituality is not just some kind of religious romanticism. Spirituality is not just some kind of lofty idea where you roll your eyes in the back of your head and whatever people think of as spirituality. Spirituality is actually living your life from the realm of God's reality. That's all it is. God is spirit, and those who would know him must know him by connecting in their spirit. You see, we live in two realities uh, as born-again believers. We live in a very real, practical world, a temporal world. We live in that reality, but our eyes have also been opened to, our spirit has been exposed to a new reality of the spirit realm. And so these two realities flow side by side as we walk through life, but the difference is, as a child of God, is we are not limited to the natural reality. We live in the natural reality, but wherever there's impossibilities, wherever there's unclarity, wherever there's need that we lack, we can tap into the spirit realm. We can tap into the Lord, His wisdom, the Holy Spirit, His guidance, even His power, and we can see change being affected in the natural realm which we live. That's why when you come to Jesus, not religion, but when you come to Jesus, your life is radically changed because you're introduced to a whole new reality. How many have experienced that? right? A whole new reality, things that you could not accomplish in the natural, things you didn't know in the natural. You just come into this new freedom, this new hope, this new sense of understanding. Now, one of the potential pitfalls of our familiarity with the truth, or maybe more precisely, our familiarity with church life or with religious things, being around church things, is that we, uh, we, we may grow in our knowledge of these things, but the problem is, over time, we come to rely on our knowledge of God, you might say, but knowledge in the sense more of just the Christian lifestyle, how it works, religion, how it works. We come to rely more on our knowledge of those things than we rely on our awareness of the Lord, than we rely on our consciousness of the Lord. The church today, as we know, has more Bible information than any generation before us, and yet as a whole, there are actually less experiences with God. Does that make sense? And again, I'm speaking more in the Western church context. We have more study tools available, more online things, computer things, great preachers, TV ministries, all that kind of stuff. Go on YouTube. You can listen to the best communicators in the world unlike any other time before. And yet again, in the Western culture, it seems that less and less of God's people are actually experiencing the reality of God in their present life or in their daily life. We know more, but it seems like we're kind of seeing less. And why is that? I believe one of the reasons is because when mankind was first created, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, we see that God did not give them a manual. God did not give them a book. 
right? We read in the Scriptures that Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They knew what it was to communicate with Him, to experience Him, to encounter Him. They knew what it was to, to hear Him speak. They knew what it was to see Him do things around them. And they enjoyed God's presence just as God obviously enjoyed being with them. But you see, when we look in the garden, we forget sometimes as modern-day believers, this is God's plan for you and me as well, that we would see Him and hear Him right where we are today, where we live. Jesus said to His disciples in John 15, 15, He said, I don't call you servants. What do I call you? You are my most cherished friends. Because that's what God's intention has always been. That's what salvation is about. The Lord brings us back into a friendship with Him. Like some of the old songs that, that we used to sing, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus, right? That's written by somebody who's not just musically gifted. That's written by somebody who actually has an experience of a friendship with Jesus, who actually knows how precious and how beautiful and how loving Jesus really is. That's what the Lord has made us for. That's what he has redeemed us for. You see, God's plan, I believe, has always been that we know him not by the accumulation of information, but that we know him by experience. In fact, even after Adam and Eve had sinned, the Bible says they could still hear God walking in the garden. They could still hear God calling out for them, Genesis 3 and 8. Why? Because over many years, whatever period of time that Adam and Eve were walking with God, they had cultivated a, a, an awareness of God by being with him. They had experienced God. They knew what it was to, to hear God. They knew what it was to see the Lord. We kind of see this same kind of relationship when God introduces himself to Moses. Again, when God encounters Moses or vice versa, God does not just give Moses a book. We know later on he would go on to write Scripture, but he doesn't give him a book. He doesn't give him a manual. What does God do? He gives him himself. And then even after Moses begins to, to you know, write Scripture that we know of today, the reality is he has such a hunger for God that he actually erects a tent outside of the camp of Israel called the Tent of Meeting. And Exodus 33:11 tells us that inside the tent, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Moses had a hunger for fellowship with God. He had a hunger for the presence of God, to know God. He had revelation of Scripture that God had given him. He writes it in the first five books of the Old Testament. But beyond that, he had a hunger to be with God, to know God. And I really believe that just like Abraham, God considered Moses righteous on account of his faith. But please understand this. As close as Moses was to God, he was not a child of God like you and I are. Moses was not full of the Holy Spirit. Moses was not born again. Moses was not in Christ. We have all those things that we've been talking about these last couple of weeks. Moses didn't have the benefit of that, and yet we see he had this relationship with God. He didn't even have the same knowledge of Scriptures that we have today, but he did know something that a lot of us don't know today, and that is he knew the presence of God. Moses was very conscious of God in his life and longed to be in his presence and to live and minister out of, that, out of that presence. And then, of course, we go on. We can name many, but I think of some of the prophets like Elijah and Elisha. Again, they didn't have all the things that we have today, but they did have an awareness of who God was. And they ministered out of that awareness. They had this confidence to speak on God's behalf because of that awareness. I mean, they experienced some incredible miracles. We, we look at their ministries, we see they called fire down from heaven, multiplied food, prayed for the sick and saw them healed, saw people being raised from the dead. And again, they didn't have what we have, but they knew God. They knew the presence of God. They had an anointing by experience and by encounters. Now, Jesus in John 14, he's speaking to his disciples 
about what would happen for them after the resurrection. He's essentially talking about what they would experience by way of what we would call today salvation. He said this in verse 20. When that day comes, you will know that I am in my Father and that you are in me, just as I am in you. Say that again. You will know that I am in my Father and that you are in me, just as I am in you. And then he goes on to refer to all of us who receive salvation. He says in verse 21, My Father will love those who love me. I too will love them. And what? I will reveal myself to them. What does that mean? That means that we should be experiencing more in our lives. We should be experiencing more of Jesus. We should be experiencing more of hearing him, more of seeing him in our lives and ministering through our lives. And not just after we've been in church for 20 years, but from the very day that we receive Christ into our life, we ought to begin seeing Jesus working in us and through us. For those who are going through the Love Says Go seminar, uh, Jason in his book tells the story of a 13-year-old girl by the name of Karina and how in a ministry setting she had uh, stepped out and prayed for somebody and saw them physically healed. And she was absolutely amazed. Now, she wasn't amazed in the sense that God healed, though that's, that's wonderful too, because she had seen other people stepping out praying and seeing other people being healed. But what amazed her was that she'd only been a Christian for two weeks, and she couldn't get over this idea that God actually used her or flowed through her by the power of the Holy Spirit to see this miracle in somebody else's life. That's what surprised her. And I believe Jesus wants you and me to understand that from the very first day that we know him, we can have experiences with God. We can expect spiritual things to begin to explode in our lives. You don't have to have major training, right? You just need to know what the Word of God says about you, what the Word of God says you can do, who is in you, and then begin to step out in faith and do the things the Lord has said you can do and promised to be with you to see those things happen. And again, it doesn't take many, many years. In fact, why is it that most people who were led to the Lord are led by someone who's only known the Lord for a matter of months? Maybe a year or two, right? Because when you first come to Christ, you tap into his life, his reality, his joy, his freedom. You realize, man, this is for everybody. And you're crazy enough to actually believe you can do the same thing in other people's lives. But if you sit in the, in the church for a long time and gain more and more knowledge, you start kind of thinking you're figuring things out theologically, and it begins to shut down that expectation. Or sometimes because you're sitting around believers who've known the Lord for many, many years, you're not seeing them do anything, and so you're thinking that is just the norm, and you begin to dry up and become like them. But we see Jesus saying, hey, from the time you know me, I'm going to start revealing myself to you. You're going to know me intimately, and you're going to see me live through your life. Now, Jesus, of course, was God's word in the flesh. But he also said on many occasions, he said, I only speak the things that my father is telling me to speak, that I feel prompted to speak. I'm only doing those things, pouring my energy into those things, ministering in those ways where the father is showing me that this is where I'm to minister. This is what I am to do. He said in John 5, the father loves his son so much. He always reveals to him everything that he is about to do. Do you realize your heavenly father loves you the same way? And your heavenly father would just love to show you the things that he's about to do. That's all it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. It just means you're going through the day and the, and the father just prompts you, the Holy Spirit prompts you and says, hey, 
talk to that person, or hey, do this, do that. What's he saying? I'm going to show you what I'm about to do. And then we step out and we partner with him and we see the Lord do some amazing things. And Jesus goes on to say, and you will all be amazed when he shows him even greater works than what you have seen so far. Now, what I want us to understand is the things that Jesus did were not things that he read in the scriptures. They weren't in there. You had some similar things going on, but Jesus did a whole lot more things. In fact, the Bible says all the things that Jesus did and taught, if you're the recorded, the libraries of the world would not be able to hold. Now, maybe that's a bit of, you know, exaggeration. I don't know. He's just kind of, you know, using the words, a, a little bit of, uh, uh, I can't remember the grammatical term now, hyperbole, whatever kind of drive the point home. Uh, but we know there were many, many, many things that Jesus did that were not actually recorded in the Scripture but there were things that Jesus did because of what he heard the Holy Spirit speaking to him and showing him. And so in the same way, what I want to underline is that the purpose of the Bible is not to make us more smart. The purpose of the Bible is to make us more sensitive to the spiritual. The purpose of the Scriptures is to make us more aware, more conscious of Jesus more conscious of his presence in our lives and that he walks with us each day. We carry him wherever we go and the Lord still wants to continue to do the things he's always done. Now, we know that we read the word of God. The Bible is full of wonderful stories, wonderful things that we see people experiencing in God. But we don't have those stories just so we can talk about them, do we? We have those stories so that their stories could actually inspire us. Their experiences can inspire us to have our own experiences in the Lord. We read about David and Goliath. We read about other people and their faith. We read about just things that God did through them, how God used them. And yet the common denominator is they all seem to have this awareness of God, this consciousness of God's presence with them. God called them to things. And when we read those stories, I wonder, have we ever stopped and said to ourselves, you know, those are wonderful stories. And they're so encouraging, and they just speak so beautifully of who God is, his nature, and the kind of things that he does. But when I read those stories, I'm reminded they didn't know God like I can know God. The Holy Spirit wasn't living in them 24-7. They weren't born again. They weren't children of God in that same sense as we are. And it makes me wonder, okay, Lord, why aren't we seeing that same? Now, I know that many of these stories are, are told over the space of generations or sometimes hundreds of years. That's true. But we also see many things happen on a regular basis in the New Testament as well. You see, we know our Scriptures oftentimes. And yet it seems like we're still not producing like many of these who weren't in the same position that we are. But I believe it's not from a lack of ability. It's not from a lack of, a, of things that the Lord has given to us and gifted to us, made available to us. So it's not a lack of ability, but it is, I believe, a lack of awareness. An awareness, a deliberate awareness of the presence of the Lord in my life 24-7. You see, the things that we read about are the result of what those in the Scriptures were seeing and hearing. Now, maybe you're thinking the Bible says, well, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of God. And that is true. Uh, I'm not undermining all the written words I'll just mention in just a moment, but, but when Paul says that, he says, faith comes from hearing and hearing actually from the Word of Christ. If you look in the Greek language, the word that oftentimes in Scripture says God is actually Christos. So obviously, Jesus is God, but it's speaking about Jesus. It's speaking about faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word from Jesus. You might say from the lips of Jesus. And the reason I say this is because, again, the word, word in this Scripture is not logos. It's the word rhema, 
What does that mean? Faith, and it's not just talking about faith for salvation. That can play a part in it. It's talking about you and me as believers who walk with Jesus in a dark and needy world that we need to have a faith that's actually current, that's alive, that's present. Because rhema has to do with not just word in a book, not just word in text. It has to do with the word coming alive to you and Jesus speaking to you personally. The faith that you need, in other words, comes from your closeness to Christ, from your closeness to the Lord, and so you actually have a relationship with Him where just like Jesus, when He lived and ministered in this world, what do we need to do? We need to speak the things we hear Jesus saying. We need to do the things that Jesus is doing. As we go through the course of the day, we need to be asking ourselves, Lord, not only did I have my devotions today and close my Bible and get on with my day, but Lord, having been in your presence, having been with your word, not only do I have the written word, I have a relationship with the living word who lives in me. His name is Jesus, and he wants to go with me from my devotion room into my office, into the workplace, into the marketplace, into the street, into my home, into the relationship. He wants me to be the Word in flesh because Jesus is in me. It's not just about a knowledge of the Word, of the written Word. It's about a consciousness. Or as one writer said many years ago, practicing the presence. It's about understanding that I carry the presence of God. I carry Jesus with me. He is the living Word, and He wants to reside in me. He wants to flow in me. You see, in our Western culture, at least, I think we have elevated a knowledge of Scripture above a knowledge of Jesus. Friends, don't misunderstand me. You need to be in the Word of God. But for how many Christians today, I mean, to begin with, according to Barna Research, this is going back 20 years ago, an average of 3% of Christians actually read the Word every day anyway. So even just to get in the Word is a major feat for the majority of believers. But if you're in the Word, the Lord never intended the Word just to be something that you read because you're reading through the Bible a year, so you read your chapter or two chapters and you check it off and have a word of prayer and on you go. That's not a bad thing. That's a great place to start. But that's not all there is. That's not what the Lord intends. He wants us to have a knowledge of Him. Jesus said in John chapter 5, you carefully study the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. Now, they do, in fact, tell about me. But listen to this. But you refuse to come to me and actually have that life. You see the difference? You read the Scriptures, it's a good thing. We go to church, that's a good thing. We get involved in church things, Christian things, discipleship groups. That's good. They talk about me. But you see... The purpose of all that is to bring you to me because what you're looking for is not found just in the knowledge of how it works. It's found in your relationship with me. Life is in me. I am the logos. I am the origin. I am the rationale. I am the reason behind all truth, all knowledge. Truth is a person, and you can know that person. If you stop just with the written word, you're falling short. I hope you understand what I'm saying this morning. I'm not dismissing the value of the written Word of God. It's God's Word. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But friends, listen to me. The written Word of God was never intended to be a replacement for a consciousness of Jesus Christ, the living Word. Never. Never. It's meant to actually introduce you to Him and to know Him in a deeper way. The purpose of the Bible is to lead us into a relationship with Jesus. 
Again, not just to read a chapter about him and then go on our way. Did you ever notice that Jesus didn't just talk about what he learned about God? Time and again, Jesus says things like, the Father who sent me. The Father is with me. The Father who is in me. Jesus was so conscious of the presence of his Father that whenever he encountered any kind of situation, we don't see him running off for three days to fast and pray to know what to do, right? He knows what to do because he's in communion with his Father. He's in communion with the Holy Spirit. I was reading my own quiet time, Mark chapter 5, a few weeks ago, and, and it just struck me. I mean, I had I, thought of this before a little bit, but it just came back to, memory, to my memory. But in, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is encountering this man who has been demonized for years. He's beyond hope. He's chained. Nobody thinks there's anything that could do to change his life. But the interesting thing is when you read the Scripture and Jesus eventually frees that man, the demons didn't come out the first time Jesus commanded it. Read it yourself. They didn't come out the first time. In verse 8, Mark writes this. For Jesus, listen to this, had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What was happening? I believe very simply, when you look at the grammatical text, it's basically, it's past, it's continuous. What's he saying? Jesus was ministering to this man who was demonized, saying, come out of him. Nothing happened. Come out of him. Nothing happened. Come out of him. Nothing happened. I don't know how many times that happened, but I know it happened more than once. Now, before you get all nervous, remember Jesus prayed for a blind man? What happened? First time, what do you see? I see men like trees. Pray again. What do you see? I see people. Okay? But the point is this, and it's very important for us to catch. Jesus had to rely on the Holy Spirit. Jesus had to be sensitive to, conscious of, aware of the Holy Spirit in his life so that when he faced different situations, just like you and me, he is led by the Holy Spirit. He's not led just by something that he read before or he saw somebody else do. In fact, I don't know how many deliverance ministries there are around the world that are, that are rooted in this practice of asking demons their names because that's what he did here. He's kind of stuck. Come out, nothing happens. Come out, nothing happens. And Holy Spirit, what's going on? Ask it his name. What's your name? We are legion, for we are many. How many believe that Jesus operated like we do? He's our model, right? He paved the way for us. What's going on here? Not sure. What's going on, Holy Spirit? Ask what the name is. Legion. Now, human nature, we tend to take that as a doctrine. That's just a testimony. It's not doctrine. It's just something Jesus did. This is how it worked. He went on. Because we don't see Jesus doing that again. Jesus didn't go to the next demonized man and say, okay, I've got to ask the name. No, why? Because he's led by the Spirit, right? So you don't create a doctrine out of that, but that's what we tend to do in our human nature. We tend to say, okay, well, this is what worked last time, or this is what Jesus did at one time. This is what we need to do. And we miss the fact that what Jesus models is he's not copying a formula that he had read, but he was conscious of the Holy Spirit in his life, ministering. That's why Jesus could move and pivot as he needed to to meet the need. Now, again, please understand, I am not belittling the importance of God's written word. But how many of us understand that God's word does not always speak specifically to every single decision or every single thing you encounter? 
God's Word is foundational. In fact, oftentimes, if you're looking for an answer, you can read God's Word. God's Word is alive, the Scripture says, full of living power. You can read the Word of God, and somebody else might say, oh, you're taking it out of context, but you say, no, no, this is God's Word. God can speak to me. You know, as I'm reading through the Psalms, God can speak to me as I read a story involving Elijah, whatever the case may be. It's still God's Word. He can make His Word come alive to you in any Scripture. Now, somebody else might say, well, it seems like you're kind of taking that out of context, or, the, you know, the history says whatever, but you're saying, look, I'm not starting a new doctrine. I just know when I read that one little verse, it's like it left, and the Lord says, that's a word for you, right? That's the, that's the Word of God coming alive. So we can have that experience as well, but the reality is not every single situation automatically does the Scripture come to your mind. So in that case, how do we get those answers? It obviously begins with the written Word of God. But the purpose of that written word is to bring you and me into fellowship with Jesus, the living word, whom I can hear, and I can see him do things, and he can show me things, because our goal is not to know about Jesus. Our goal is to have an awareness through relationship with Jesus, so that wherever you go, wherever you may be, you're so aware of him that you know exactly what to do. You know what to say. I really believe in these days in which we live, and I'm going to speak a bit more specifically about the days that we're in. I don't know if it's next Sunday or maybe two weeks from now, Pastor Spencer speaking the week after Thanksgiving, but there's a message in my heart that I want to speak into. A lot of the stuff we're going through right now, what is going on and <clears throat> what's going on in both kingdoms, I believe. But I really believe that if you and I want to be a significant player in what I believe is going to be a last great move of God, it's going to require that we choose to have a very real awareness of the presence of Jesus in us and the presence of Jesus with us. We need to know that we know that we know that the Holy Spirit lives within us. We need to know what it is to hear His voice. We need to know what it is to recognize what He is doing and to get in on what He is doing. We need to know what it is when the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, this stuff, this stuff, this stuff, this got to go. I've got so much more for you. I've got fruitfulness for you, but you've got to let me prune this stuff. We've got to get back to hearing the Holy Spirit when he's saying, listen, you've got to discern the days you were living in. Gone are the days are playing. It's not play anymore. If you haven't discerned it already, there's, there's times coming ahead of us. And again, it's not about our self-preservation. It's about the salvation of a generation. That's what it's all about. And the Lord is speaking these things to us, but we have to have an awareness of his presence in us and with us. And I ask you this simply in closing. That is, how conscious are you of God? Just, just think about that for a moment. How conscious are you of Jesus in your life? How aware are you of him? I don't mean just in the sense that, oh, I know God is with me, just like some people say, my loved one passed away and they're with me. You know, it's that kind of superstitious kind of way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how deliberate are you in your walk with the Lord to say, Lord, I don't want to just have my devotion in the morning. I don't want to just read my chapter and check it off. Lord, I want to know that you're with me through the day. I want to hear you speak to me. I want to see you do things through me. I want to see your kingdom expand through my life. It may not be every single moment or every single day, but we walk through our day, our lives, recognizing that we carry a kingdom with us. We carry a reality with us, a reality that the average person does not see and does not understand, but we can bring them in into an encounter with the living God and their lives can be forever changed because we recognize it's not just about knowledge of the written word of God. That's foundational, but we need to know the one who wrote the, the scriptures. We need to know the one who's the source of all truth. We need to know the living word 
and his name is Jesus. Smith Wigglesworth once said, if you are less aware of God today than you were yesterday, then you have backslidden. And he's talking about the need for there to be a progressing in our awareness of the Lord. Again, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Worship team, will you join me this morning? Will you say that with me? You, not worship team, but you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Say it one more time. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truth means reality. Truth is the person. His name is Jesus. Hear me, friends. Jesus is reality. He is reality. And friends, I want him to be the greatest reality in my life. You see, when we walk with the Lord and we walk by faith, the Lord's not calling us or saying, if you really have faith, well, just ignore that. Just pretend that's not real. Pretend that's not happening. No, no, no. He's saying, everywhere I go, I want you to know that regardless of what you see as reality in the natural, I am ultimate reality. And my reality supersedes and overrules any other thing that you perceive as reality. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Bring heaven to earth. That's why Jesus came. That's what Jesus invites you and me to enter into. But it is all centered on the presence of God. Knowing his presence, being aware of his presence, ministering from his presence. Friends, that's where we begin to hear. That's where we begin to see. And as much as I love the written word of God, it was never meant to replace the living word of God, Jesus Christ, in my awareness of him. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton, or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week, and God bless.